0: Abuse costs you and your fellow Americans at least $60 billion a year. Hello
1: and welcome <laughs> back to another episode of Drinking Out of Cups Podcast. I'm your host, Raven. I'm here with my co-hosts, Mac. And your boy, Ryan, back again. Hey, guys. Uh <laughs> You guys know what we're talking about today. We're going to be diving into a drug that's been taking the world by storm. From hospitals to nightclubs, ketamine has been quickly regaining popularity around the world. While maybe not being a new drug, it seems like people are finally starting to take it seriously. While you've likely heard the name ketamine before, you could have possibly heard people talking about it and had no idea. With nicknames like Special K, Kitty, or even simply put, K. People just like call it K. Vitamin K. Vitamin K. Freaking
2: Nose beers? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's
1: the weird thing is that people call it nose beers, but that's also something for cocaine. So that could be really confusing.
2: Yeah, man. Anything that you shove up your nose, you know.
1: Yeah. I nose feel, beer. I, I just personally, I feel like if someone came up to me at a party and was like, hey, you want some nose beers? I'd be like, yeah, cocaine. Great.
2: <laughs> well, no. So honestly, I think that nose beer works better for ketamine because ketamine gets you kind of like when you just like the small doses that people take or whatever when they're like partying. Is just like a wobbly legs, kind of like drunk, you know, a little maybe lightheaded, uh, dissociated feeling. More yeah. so than like cocaine, doesn't really seem like a beer, you know what I mean? Yeah, if anything so, cocaine
1: yeah. would be like a nose mocha. <laughs> like, nose mocha. Like, <laughs> nose no espresso, bro. Nose espresso. No, it's like espresso but nose espresso. Yeah. Nose espresso, thing. dude. All right. Yeah, uh, w- <laughs> wow, we just came up with a new term for, co- for we cocaine. We just made cocaine more confusing. Than Hope you guys like that. Episode. Live on the pod, boys. Shouts Live out on the to pod. <laughs> yeah, call back to last episode. Uh, yeah, cuz yeah, ketamine does make you kind of wobbly, kind of slurred out. Wobblesy, so it would make more wobble. sense. It'd be uh, nose beers. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, ke- uh, ketamine is a drug that is typically used by doctors and veterinarians as a short-term anesthetic. At its pure pharmaceutical level, it's a clear liquid. When acquired as a street drug, it is typically a white powder, purchased similar fashion to like cocaine. And the fact that you're you're going to be buying it as like a on the gram level or like an eight ball, as we discussed in cocaine, like a gram, three point five grams usually. Costing around the same as cocaine would, um, anywhere from $80 to $100 for a gram. Uh, with it being a drug that vets used, you will hear a lot that ketamine is a horse tranquilizer. While it is used on horses, it is also used on smaller animals like dogs, cats, rabbits, stuff like that, and humans as an anesthetic. So I personally feel like calling it a horse tranquilizer is a little misleading and could lead people to have a generally negative view when it comes to... Ketamine? Because just saying something as a horse tranquilizer is like… I've, I'd personally be scared of that. Like someone's like, hey, take this horse tranquilizer. Yeah.
2: yeah and well, and actually, I feel, I feel like that's why the D.A.R.E. program made sure to like uh, name the first like uh, nickname for ketamine when they were telling you about it. Uh, horse tranquilizer. Because it's like… It's a big-ass animal, right? Bigger yeah. than us. <laughs> and you hear the word tranquilizer. And you're like, oh my gosh, if someone like me were to take that… I would die.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, the the huge misconception yeah. there is that yeah, sure it's used on horses, but the amount that they're giving to a horse is equal to a horse's size versus what they're giving to a human in a hospital as a as an anesthetic. So it's it's not even really comparable. It's no. It's to call it a horse tranquilizer is just. It's like, it's like how people call their minivan a truck.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. That's a great, great example. Wait, so... Everyone hop in the truck. So, so do... Uh, is ketamine used to tranquilize horses at all? Yes. So yes. it is a horse tranquilizer.
1: Well, it's used it as an anesthetic. <laughs> as a, yeah. Essentially, okay. it's yeah. just an anesthetic. Yep.
2: That's about it. It's an anesthetic into the mammalian nervous system. It does the same thing. So to what it does to me, it's going to do to the horse as well. Yeah, okay, it's, it's a quantities thing. It's, yeah, okay. But the horse is two ton and we're not.
1: Yeah, exactly. I see. It, I see. It, it, essentially saying it's a horse tranquilizer just is really off-putting to people because then it thinks, okay, well, I'm going to take the same amount as a horse and I'll probably freaking die. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Essentially, yeah. That's, that's what it sounds like. So that's, well,
2: And something that's like meant for horses… Yeah, doesn't seem like it should be meant for human use either. Yeah, I mean, like maybe a dog or a duck or a chicken or something. right? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, a good point. <laughs> like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, no, that's a good point because, like, like if you like if you shoot a bear, like a bear might not die if you shoot it immediately, but if you shoot like me, like I'll probably die if you shoot me. <laughs> so like, right? So yeah. if I shoot yeah. you so with it's, it's pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 that's why they
1: have guns called elephant rifles.
3: Wait, oh like, yeah, dude, yeah, you, you haven't seen, seen those. Dude, an they're, elephant rifle I mean, is a big crazy. Is, elephant rifles are big as a muff, dude. So wait, what is it? Like a like an op or something? <laughs> it's just a. it's a fucking super powerful like gun, basically, for to kill elephants. Like fifty caliber? or yeah, what?
1: I think it's like a fifty or maybe even a I like think it's bigger than a fifty rifle. cal uh Holy I knew shit. I looked like this biggest... up And it's a,
3: it's just a Trank or is it a no, bullet? No, it's
1: a real gun to kill Oh know, they No,
3: kill no the dude, aliens. they have these okay, so they
2: have these crazy bullets.
3: I, what? Oh sorry. I was no, just No, so they if have these crazy hunt ivory. <laughs> We interrupted each other again, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go. Uh I was just asking if it was to hunt ivory. I think is it is. Yeah. So there's these so in Africa they use these uh these crazy like uh, I don't know if it's like technically what the elephant gun was back in the day. Uh, cuz I don't know if they're like what well, was technically the elephant gun that has like this basically like giant like opening at the end of it to shoot these like crazy bullets? I don't know if that's actually used anymore. They have these giant powerful rifles that have bullets bigger than a fifty cal. Like if you look up a picture of these, uh, I don't remember what they're called, but I, I did look it up at one point, and they're like fucking fat fucking bullets, like giant bullets. And uh, apparently that's what they use to uh, hunt like elephants and all that stuff nowadays. It's they're fucking yeah, and, so gnarly, dude.
1: Yeah, and so that is a really long-winded comparison <laughs> to <Academy>. <laughs> Well, <laughs> You know, I Andy honestly we I'm
0: landed T I
2: T I L. Thanks, and guys.
1: Landed it. Dude. <laughs> I didn't,
3: you know, I honestly didn't know that there was a bigger gun than a fifty cal. <laughs> yeah. Well, now now yeah. you know what. Now you know, Micah. The more you know, and now you know. Same. Okay. <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> Let's let's wind it back to ketamine. Um, I want to just uh, cover the the legality of it really, really fast. Um, ketamine is a Schedule 3 drug, uh, meaning that it has current accepted medical use and treatment, and that it has a lower potential for abuse than Schedule 1 and 2, and that abuse of the drug may lead to moderate or low physical dependence or high physiological dependence. Um, I And that is something that we will be discussing later with Micah because— Sometimes they might be a little wrong when, dis- when scheduling drugs, in my opinion, uh, or very, very, very wrong. Uh, but that we'll cover that later in the episode. For now, we should probably jump in to the history of ketamine, find out where it came from. It very first, <laughs> boo, boo, boo. is that your time machine?
3: Yeah. Every time you drop into <laughs> a new, <laughs> new segment, I'm just gonna start doing sound effects.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You be I'm my the, uh, personal sound effect. That would actually board. be kind of
3: funny to
2: have it like an old, like old school, like like early two thousands edited video where like every single transition has some kind of
1: like. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, you're next. on that. All right. So I'll I'll, I'll reread this. You ready? This we will be discussing later, more in depth with Micah. Wow, that was Seinfeld. I sure. dude, exactly. That's what I was going for, dude. (laughs) (laughs)
3: We're supposed
1: to be a time machine. All
3: right, let's get back. Oh wait, oh fuck. That's what I don't know how to make a time machine. Fucking dude, nah, dude. I'm I'm more of a montage (laughs) guy. Never seen Back to the Future. What? (laughs) It's It's just a DeLorean, man. Just make the sound of the DeLorean. Come on, let's go. I don't, dude. I don't remember what
2: that's.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Me neither. For the All history right. of ketamine, it was first synthesized in 1962 by an American scientist named Calvin Stevens at the Park Davis Laboratories in Michigan. Uh, it that used to be America's oldest and largest drug maker. That's just a little fun fact I threw in there. Uh, Wait, they, who? Uh, Him or the? No, university? no, 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 no. Uh, Park Davis Laboratories. Oh, in, lab. in Michigan was America's oldest and largest drug maker. It was uh, sold in 1970, and the company is now owned by Pfizer as of 2000. Wait, like the people that
3: gave me the jab? Yeah, dude. The people you got the Pfizer, dude. I got the Dern, dog.
1: Dude, when I got the FIs, I got so high. I like went into this thing called a K-hole. It was so
2: fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, they told me to test my shit first and I didn't. So I just, you know, full sent it. Damn, dude. Yeah, they they
1: mix their batches. They mix their K-batches with their... Oh,
3: shit. uh, Wait, so what happens when you mix Pfizer and Moderna?
1: Oh, wait. That sounds kind of sick. Dude, that's the
3: ultimate combo, dude. That's that's fucking kitty flipping, if you know what I'm saying. Kitty <laughs> <laughs> flipping. There you go. Okay, we'll talk about the kitty flipping. Yes, I, yeah, I would like to talk about the kitty flipping, but we will continue with Raven, whatever Raven was saying. <laughs>
1: yeah, so in 1962, ketamine was first synthesized. Uh, it was originally named CI-581, and it was made as a derivative to PCP. Uh, by 1964, human trials began on prisoners— which showed that ketamine's short duration and more subdued nature compared to PCP, uh, thereby allowing it to become the favorable anesthetic to researchers. They liked that, because they were using PCP as the anesthetic up until then, but they would have really overt reactions with the patients to where their bodies would be flipping around and um, I
3: mean, that completely makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, Dude, I don't. They, give, I, they were giving PCP as an anesthetic. Yeah. No, Holy okay. fuck. See, so I love this. I love this. <laughs> this is exactly what I
2: wanted out of this episode. All right, let's so, get learned by Mike. Sorry, guys. We have to take this little detour, but you know the the reaction that Ryan that you just had is valid, right? Uh yeah, We've grown I know. up with. Okay. <laughs> 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 we have grown up. <laughs> With hearing that uh PCP is this incredibly terrifying drug, right? And Well, and it's it,
1: because of the news with like people running with knives and… Yeah, at and, cops and, 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 and fully getting, getting naked and like yeah. ripping their faces through.
2: off. Exactly. Yeah. Or the one guy from the Wu-Tang or whatever… Cutting uh, his wiener off. Cut yeah. his wiener off, yeah. Wait, what? Um <laughs> Yeah, wiener how is the scientific term this?
1: for penis. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you don't
2: know this? The the that one dude, dude, he went on like Vice and talked about it. How the reason for cutting his dick off while on PCP was because he's had too many baby mamas. Yeah, he felt that he was doing the right thing Whoa. by cutting that thing off because he can't help himself.
3: Yeah. So and he, which, to this you, which day guy was he this owns in, a, in the Woo?
2: I can't remember, but I'm I don't know if it was this the example. Woo. Just it may, look have, up. Like, it may have been a different group, but the thing was. No, is, it was Wu-Tang. Okay, cool. He owns a barbershop right now like in Brooklyn or Philly or something. And he'll still tell you to this day <laughs> that... Anyway. No, go ahead. To this day that chopping his pee-pee off was the right move because wow. he has less kids. Wow. And he thinks that that was the right thing. Okay, so anyway, what I wanted to really uh, like touch on and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later with the science uh, stuff. But is that... You know, the general public, when they hear about PCP, right, they instantly have an idea or a a perception of what they think PCP does to someone, right? And they've never tried PCP personally. So their perception comes from what they've seen in the news. And I think most of our listeners would agree that uh, most news sources aren't very accurate, right? And that they're kind of— biased. Biased and they're they're altered in a way for their viewers, right? Their specific types of viewers. And so at one point it's actually very similar to the crack epidemic, the PCP uh like scare and 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 terror that everyone thinks of is something that we will talk about at some point and it has a lot to do with systemic racism and poverty, right? Like these lower income communities where PCP is really prevalent because it's a, an easy drug to make. It's an incredibly easy drug to distribute amongst people. People dip their cigarettes in it and their joints in it um, and and then sell it off to their friends and stuff. But the problem is, is that PCP is still just an anesthetic just like ketamine. It actually is structurally related to ketamine still. They're very similar chemicals. The only situation that's different is that ketamine actually does... Sedate people, or it keeps their bodies from moving when they're under anesthesia. And PCP, people end up moving on, and so to do something mm-hmm. like surgery is difficult on somebody who is moving and maybe making some like un- uncontrollable, you know, bodily movements. Yeah, uh, while they're technically anesthetized, like right. essentially, the the drugs do very, very similar things to the brain, but PCP is just a little bit different, and so. Raven, tell us a little bit more about like why
3: ketamine ended up oh, yeah. coming. Before we go to yeah, that, I found the oh, rapper. Yeah. That rapper is named Christ <laughs> oh, Bear. He uh, wait, who was it? Christ, Christ Bear. Bearer. He's not actually part of the Wu Tang. He's just affiliated with the Wu Tang. So oh. okay, don't be spreading misinformation about the Wu Tang clan. Well, we
2: aren't now.
1: Yeah, no, nope.
3: you're correct. Nope. Us, nope. All right, so all right. That's good. Oh, we 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 uh, more guys. Guy. Yeah, with Be-de-de-
1: what boop, boop, boop. Micah was saying about ketamine. Um, the oriz- original researchers who were testing ketamine on prisoners, what they wanted to call the state that it put you in, dreaming, due to the complete like disconnect observed in the patients after it was administered, uh, mm. I'm I'm glad they went with a a different route. They used a more tasteful phrase, dissociative anesthesia. So that is um mm. that is this the same thing they. That- the same phrase they use for things like PCP, ketamine, and DXM, which is more. What is it? Uh, dextromethorphan.
2: dextromethorphan. Yeah. And, yeah. And the reason I wanted to say it mainly to everyone was just because it's something… It, it's a chemical that you may have seen, um, you know, whenever you've been sick. Uh, you, might, you may have bought a bottle of cough syrup from Safeway or wherever um, that said dextromethorphan, like HBR, which is hydrobromide doesn't matter um but essentially what that is is it it, it's a dissociative anesthetic that has structural similarities to pcp and ketamine as well but it is a legal drug it's a it's a medical you know uh, a pharmaceutical drug right that is put into over-the-counter uh cough syrup medicines and people take it in really really high doses um like they abuse cough syrups and 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 different things like uh, the Robitussin brand, right? There's there's a phrase for that, robo tripping. Yeah, robo-tripping. Um, right. A lot of young people, I think, uh, kind of start out with uh, DXM as their first experience into dissociative anesthetics. And I know I did.
0: Yeah, I think, same. I'm,
2: yeah, most most of us did, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I just wanted to mainly say the the name of the chemical because <laughs> some people might not have recognized DXM, but you know, if you're in, <laughs> if you're in the store, excuse me. You'll probably see dextromethorphan when you're buying your Benadryl or your Tylenol. You know, day right. I
1: think I think most people who are adults <laughs> at this point um, would recognize, uh, like, on the news, things like robo tripping and and things like that, because it's definitely been broadcast on the news. Still, yeah. completely in all cough medicine, not all cough medicine, but it's, it's I still think ma- a chemical use. In
2: it's considered the most common cough suppressant other yeah. than codeine and codeine yeah, is right. not over the counter in the United States so right. DXM right. replaced codeine
3: essentially right well and I also think uh, in some states uh, they made it so you have to be 18 I believe to buy cough medicine with uh, dextromethorphan in it uh, cause yep. I know yeah, a, yeah. a lot of time when We're I was gonna... younger like and I was like I'd go to the store to buy fucking cough medicine cause I was sick and they like literally wouldn't let yeah, me buy sick. it and I was like are you fucking uh-huh. serious yeah, totally. Yeah, you were definitely <laughs> just trying to get high, bro. Oh, I mean, yeah, but that was just my backstory. <laughs> uh, okay. You don't so, got to lie here. This is hey, drinking man. out of bed. I'm just trying <laughs> to lie is- to kick it, man. Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah, this
1: is an open forum, man. You could be honest with us. All
3: right. I so the you. FD...
1: <laughs> 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 Boofing cough syrup, dude. We're going to start a trend. Uh. <laughs> The FDA approval of ketamine happened in 1970 and was first used in an anesthetic for soldiers in the Vietnam War. Almost immediately, the drug began being used recreationally and therapeutically. Argentina was probably one of the first countries to start using it. Um, they used it as a for regression therapy, presumably for the Nazis that fled there after World War II. <clears throat> and alternatively, people began using it as a recreational drug, the same way somebody would take acid or mushrooms. Uh not exactly for like the hallucinations, but as a way to explore your mind. Uh, the, the the experience on ketamine can be really spiritual and not just… You, you hear anesthetic and you think it, it just sedates you and you're out, but it can actually be really… Uh, uh, Micah, do you want to try to explain a yeah. little bit? Yeah, so actually
2: one of the tough things with ketamine that… I hear a lot of the times is people saying that, you know, it is a sedative, right? Because they think like, oh, well, your body, you know, is not able to move when you're administered this drug, right? Blah, blah, blah. But really, like, essentially it's considered an anesthetic because of its um, mechanism of action on the brain. So, um, yeah, it does have sedative qualities, but it's not necessarily considered a sedative as much more as an anesthetic.
1: So how would people—so— when go, when people use it as a drug, like how they would use acid or mushrooms to kind of, you know, hallucinate and be very introspective and explore other worlds, quote unquote, how would that take place with ketamine?
2: Well, I think that as far as what I've, um, you know, read in the... Uh, literature as well as anecdotal reports on things like org and um you know reddit is that the spiritual and almost psychedelic aspect to ketamine doesn't really come um at moderate doses or threshold doses meaning like doses that you would probably first try out and i think that um uh, most people in the ketamine community that are using ketamine are probably using it for this you know Uh, spiritual uh, guidance or maybe exploration of their own consciousness type of thing, right? And so there's this phrase, the K-hole, I think that most people are kind of familiar with, Um, but it does refer to this very, very trippy state, I guess, uh, that people get to with ketamine. And the thing is, is that this state is actually really hard to achieve, and it's very dose dependent. Uh, meaning people don't really achieve this spiritual, uh, psychedelic, um, you know, uh, trip, in a sense, with ketamine unless they take a very specific dose. And it really, really depends on their set and setting. And that's, like, something that we kind of talked about in episode one with psilocybin was how important set and setting is for having a good trip or, you know, having a a, 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 a beneficial trip, right, for yourself. I think that with ketamine— by the sounds of it, when it comes to anecdotal reports, as well as from experience, it, to achieve a spiritual experience with ketamine, a psychedelic experience with ketamine, you have to be somewhat sensory deprived. In a way, you almost want to like recreate the experience in your natural world, uh, what's going on around you, as to what's going on in the body. And ketamine is essentially turning off tons and tons of neurons And telling your body that nothing is communicating anymore. And so that's how you're able to have this uh, anesthetic effect, right? The numbing effect where you could have like literally your limbs chopped off and you wouldn't feel it.
1: Whoa.
2: Right. (laughs) That's That's the beautiful part about anesthetics. And that's why it's used in surgery, right? But there is is an experience that people have on ketamine that's actually kind of in between full anesthesia, but also not threshold it's not like a low dose at all and it's this very very peculiar effect where people sort of describe disconnecting from their body and and this mm. is this whole dissociative thing and it's not similar to the ego death thing that we talked about with psilocybin it's more similar to like uh you know some some of you may have heard of astral projection right or yeah. lucid dreaming Definitely. Um, and raven you've had a lot of lucid dreaming experiences and i think that yeah
1: and astral projection exactly
2: yeah. and i think that those are honestly kind of similar to what the k hole is all about so i don't know if you want so to so e- essentially
1: about- what you're saying is that um, uh, ketamine is a really versatile drug when it comes to quantities consumed or how it's can uh, it like how how it's consumed essentially it can pretty much take on many different forms Again. in in your uh, in, in what it does to your mind and your body.
2: Yeah. And it seems that it's not for everyone. Um, and I know that most drugs, you know, it's hard to say that they'd be for anyone, but it seems that ketamine is one of those drugs where it really doesn't work well on certain people. Or in a sense, it's just
1: not interesting at all yeah. as a recreational drug to mm. certain individuals. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. Cause, um, Starting around in like the 1980s, ketamine really started making a name for itself around the world and it burst like into the club scenes around the world for a lot of people taking the spot of like MDMA, cocaine, or even alcohol while they were raving. A lot of yeah. people loved taking ketamine while going out to shows instead of, you know, the conventional stuff. The yeah, and for a while, actually, name it was- brand.
3: Yeah, well, and even for a while it was sold as like a lot of people were selling ketamine as like ecstasy and like molly and stuff like that in yeah. in that time period. Uh just Wait, really? especially yeah. in the UK. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Wait, especially overseas. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, I don't know in if you guys UK's... knew or not, but in uh in Southeast Asia like ketamine is like the number 2 drug like in like that whole in all of those areas. Like it's like actually like a huge problem in Hong Kong. Well, it's like uh, yeah, there's cocaine it. over there, actually.
2: Like how we treat cocaine here. Like we talked about last episode with the like glamorizing it in the celebrity world. I guess that's what it's like over in Hong Kong.
1: Yeah. And wow. it, I'll um, skip ahead a little. Uh, in the 90s in Hong Kong, it was the drug to do. Like if, if you were partying in a Hong Kong nightclub, you were doing ketamine no matter what. And uh, just 10 years later um uh, they made it a schedule 1 drug under their dangerous drugs ordinance they they cracked down on it pretty quick you sh- like probably can't even obtain ketamine that easy in hong kong anymore eh, i mean who knows? no so I, yeah I
2: what know. i've heard is certain places like that and I, you know i hate to mention it but just you know communist areas um, yeah. you know different governments, uh drug usage is sometimes incredibly hard to get away with yeah um like you may end up I want to fact check this, obviously, but, you know, going to prison for life. Or a or prison
1: camp. Or getting or killed. Yeah.
2: Right? Um, you know, I think, I'm pretty sure cannabis use is not accepted at all in certain countries really? in Asia. Where, like, you will get in really big trouble just for smoking a joint.
1: Jesus. Uh, yeah, that's it's gnarly. so insane compared to the US where you can walk up to a cop smoking a joint <laughs> in a lot of states. In some states. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe not a lot of
3: states, but <laughs> in I mean, our most state, states, you can now actually. I think it. it's like half and half now in the United States of yeah. uh, legalization, whether it be. Uh, actually, there's a shit ton of recreational states now. Uh, I think it's like there's like 20 something. Geez.
2: Yeah. I, no, it yeah. is. I think we're almost at half of the country is either decriminalized or recreational or medical. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah.
3: Most of them yeah. are at least medical, but now I think it's like, I think it's like 22 or something like that is recreational. Yeah. Uh, I, I just
1: want to uh, wrap up the history with just talking about how from the 80s to 90s, it really made a huge um, impact on the club and raving and just music scene in general. A lot of people found that it gave them that. It, and on low doses, like Michael was saying, a drunk, slurring kind of feeling when listening to music and having fun at parties. So it it really made a huge impact on um, just you know like party culture in the '80s and '90s. And there's one one person I want to cover before moving on from the history about ketamine is John C. Lilly the founder of the isolation tank. Well, founder, creator, you know, same thing. Uh, He was a man who played a huge role in the exploration of human consciousness and he would use ketamine as a tool to like further his research. He would take LSD and swim with dolphins or take ketamine and meditate in his float tanks with the objective of learning to communicate with potential extraterrestrials in the event that they ever visited Earth. So he figured some stuff out. Out about ketamine. Wait, <laughs> yeah. sure Hold on. That Wait, was you
3: can breeze past this, like, this is like, no, okay, no, no, no I wasn't breezing past. past this. I wanted we to not talk not about it. Okay. I am pretty, pretty, sure,
1: pretty sure,
2: <laughs> and please fact check this for me, but I am pretty sure that NASA was funding the dolphin research when it came to so,
1: there was a lot, a lot of CIA, NASA uh, funding going into the LSD with dolphins thing. You can look into a story about a lady who is funded by the CIA, to have a dolphin essentially live in her house mm-hmm. in a giant Dude. tank. And she would take LSD every day and speak to the dolphin. Will you look it up? It's super easy to look up. Uh, it, it, she would speak to the dolphin and try to learn how to communicate with it. And she got really upset when the 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 experiment ended because she fell in love with the dolphin and claimed she could speak with it.
3: Whoa. Dude, I, that makes sense because, dude, dolphins are fucking so smart. Like, I, I don't remember how much they can use their brain, but I think they say that they're like 40% smarter than humans or something like that. Or like, they can use 40% more of their brain than like humans can or something like that. I don't remember yeah, the exact so, number. So-
2: I mean that's just a claim right it's it's a it's a claim that people yeah. have tried to make based on um, oh, the, the pigs and it, and it really, really comes come down them. to just like the level of neurons and, and like connections in the brain that are being made um, ah. when you can image that or analyze it right and they think that the uh, the dolphin brain is just more complex than the human brain and so that essentially they might have more processing going on than we do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're like smarter than, I mean, cause it really comes down to like what makes something smart. Is it just because it has all of these connections going on in the brain or is it some other things? Cause the thing that's really interesting about bird brains is that they actually have like tons and tons of these. Uh, if you were to like open up a, a bird skull, right. And look at the brain, there's all these like, um, uh, foldings, right. It, 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 all those creases, it's very similar to what the human brain looks like. Right. Um, uh, and what that is is just like tissue being folded in on itself. And tissue is just a collection of brain cells. And so what that indicates, if there's a ton of these foldings going on, uh, there's a ton of tissue, meaning there's a ton of neurons come back into a really small brain. Ah. And so that's why we think that birds are really, really smart, right? It's be, be, and we, we, there is that whole talk of the, the pigeons, I think, that we taught how to do uh, advanced calculus, um, well,
1: not only that, they used pigeons wait. quite literally in World War II to guide bombs to the ground to right. blow up. Yo, they would, that they would teach so them how to hit scary. the uh, peck the little black dots and it would guide bombs to certain sites that they wanted them to go to. I mean, and that's carrier kind of pigeons. Up, but that's- I, I mean,
3: it's a fucking pigeon, man. It's a rat. <laughs> no, I was saying that's just like <laughs> fucked up to like, just be bombing people and be like, yo, let's use this pigeon to fucking. <laughs> Be hella accurate, <laughs> uh, but so sorry. Let's back up a couple before steps before
1: computers, pigeons were used. Yeah, no,
3: we did need to back up. I think because I had a say, though, I uh, was blown away by something that you said. I can't remember what it was. John though, C. Now. Right? Or, no, it was John literally right before you said uh, the Maybe, the pigeon the dolphin thing. Brain? No, it was about birds and uh, oh, the calculus thing, dude. Yeah, that's nuts.
2: Yeah, it was one of the. It was honestly a really cool uh, study that some scientists did, but they pretty much I, I forget exactly how it worked. So I'd please again fact check this, everyone. Yeah, uh, but there there is a study where they kind of taught I think uh, some pigeons how to do advanced calculus, and and the pigeons worked out <laughs> some problems, um,
0: what?
2: <laughs> based on like I think you know food reward and and different things like that. Uh, wow. Damn. So. Yeah, and, and so similar to that, the the Fantastic. dolphin brain and the whale brain are incredibly innervated. I Meaning, like there's, there's just tons of neurons. There's literally so many brain cells, and so the brain has to, you know, compensate for that, and it needs to fold in on itself. So, like when we open up a human a skull, and if you took a human brain out before it's been fixed in formaldehyde or something, and you were to like lay it down on the surface, it would stretch a football field length. Whoa. Our brains, right? And what that means is that there's just tons and tons and tons of brain cells, because again, tissue is just a pretty much collection of brain cells. So all like our brain is about a football field length, and so to think of a dolphin or a whale's brain that's as like curvy and, and folded in as ours, right, as trippy looking as ours, put one of those on a flat surface, and it's probably going to stretch super super long. Um. So anyway. I, I, I did want to mention, like, who that woman was. That uh, it, it was a NASA-funded project. Uh, her name was Margaret Lovett. Um, okay. And, yeah, she spent about literally 24 hours a day in a converted house um, where she just fuck. hung out with these dolphins and took acid
3: all the time. Dude, that I, is so I, I, fucking cool. Right.
1: I uh, really want to add that's— pretty insane that our brain can unfold to the size of a football field because the Mythbusters took a piece of paper the size of a football field and they were only able to fold it 11 times and it was still giant.
2: Right. So Damn. think of how did our like species in a sense evolve to this point where our brains are literally fitting in this tiny skull. Yeah. But our brains are bigger than us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: It's I- amazing it <laughs> dude, is that's amazing that's so fucking cool dude holy holy fuck uh, yeah, uh, shit I- dude <laughs> <laughs> wow <Whoa. laughs> what jtrnsc <laughs> what i
1: guess pretty much all i wanted to talk about with john c lilly is that he was a, a researcher he was in the military um he did he uh, just just such a smart guy, he, um, he would use ketamine to do things like try to learn languages that were unlearnable to try to speak to extraterrestrials. and he would, he created the float tank, like and he he swore by it that well, you could take ketamine and sit in a float tank and learn things that were unlearnable to the human like through through modern or for, through uh, standard teaching. Forms, you know, like that, you could just learn through essentially the collective unconscious or through, uh, I don't know,
2: any kind of consciousness expansion. It, right? Yeah, meditation, just, fucking psychedelic usage, whatever. Right. Yeah, damn, you
1: could pretty much just tap in. <laughs> I think
2: that Dude. he, for for his time, he was really like one of the pioneers of uh, this type of, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, remind me of what time period topic. this was.
1: This was 60. around the eighties, sixties oh. to eighties. Okay. Yeah. So I remember
2: when I I was learning about him, he's kind of interesting because he was the one to uh, coin the term vitamin K uh, for ketamine. And he called it that because he would intramuscularly inject ketamine, I think, daily. Um, And it got to a point where he was so addicted to it that like his wife um, one time had to pull him out of uh, the pool— you know, and save his life or whatever wow. because he was wow. just doing ketamine all the time. And then there was that really interesting report where he was on the plane with his wife. And Raven, didn't he, he have some like uh like collectives or like council things that he created in his mind that were like going on in the in in pretty much in space, he believed. And one of the ones there there was like an evil one and a good one. I can't remember the names exactly of these councils or things that he thought were pretty much ruling the world and ruling what went on in the world. But I remember there was a report where he was on a plane with his wife and he told her that he had had a vision or something that was put in his brain from one of these councils, one of these things that he pretty much made up in his mind um, on ketamine about, was that it told him that there would be a plane crash. And so he told his wife, and within like 30 to 40 minutes before their plane took off, out of the window, they see another plane crash at the airport. Now, what? obviously, this needs to be fact-checked as well… Because I'm just speaking as to like my memory so, I don't, of what I read, but…
1: I don't want to interrupt you too bad, no. but you asked me about the the, the council thing. In uh, 1974, Lily's research using ketamine led him to believe the existence of a certain hierarchical group… Of cosmic entities, the lowest of which he later dubbed Earth Co- Coincidence Control Office. So yeah, he had a entire galactic s- image in his head of essentially like a hierarchy of, it seems like, consciousness or... Entities through the essentially universe.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much things that are more powerful than us that are ruling everything that goes on on Earth. And in a way, it's almost like God, but yeah. it's his depiction of God. And he
1: further wow. believed in a thing called like so, he called it solid state intelligence, where he believed that in uh, but I don't. He never. I don't. I can't find any information about if he ever predicted a year. But eventually, we will all essentially be what everyone nowadays would know as be connected to the cloud, like be bio, uh, like mix ourselves with mechanical objects, like uh, be essentially all connected to the the collective unconscious through computers. He he fully believed in that. So um, the
2: Matrix. He you you're you're telling me yeah, you that yeah. he started the Matrix. Yeah,
1: he firmly believed in the Matrix. Yeah, wow. and he called it solid state intelligence. Um, I
3: mean, that's pretty fucking sick, dude. Yeah. So shouts wow. out ketamine. Yeah, <laughs> shouts out ketamine. Out ketamine. He, <laughs> he learned
1: all this through acid and ketamine, and who's to say which one? I I would I would argue that ketamine probably influenced his life more if he was fully addicted. And uh, who can we speculate on if he could be or not? Or should we wait?
2: Oh, addicted?
1: Because <laughs> he was addicted. Oh, no. He
2: was absolutely addicted. Yeah. I think it's talked about in his book, uh, Ketamine No, if he Dreams. could pee or
1: not. Huh? If he could pee. Oh,
2: well, <laughs> sure. We could talk about that. I mean, at some point, we're going to have to talk about the ketamine bladder. Yeah. Situation. Yeah, we're going
1: to have to talk about that pretty soon. So but, should we speculate if he uh, <laughs> could well, pee Well, I
2: assume not? he was peeing a lot. Yeah. Very short, small urine
1: streams. Well, we're, we're about ah. to get into science corner. So… um I just wanted to talk about one last thing. Uh, I wanted to talk about in modern time, now that we've covered kind of the history of how ketamine became popular, I wanted to talk about modern time. Uh, it is really used in treatment-resistant depression uh, really heavily in the United States. It was dis- discovered around two, the year 2000 and believed to be one of the greatest advancements in the treatment of depression. They um, There's uh, ketamine- clinics all over the United States you can go in and uh, they pretty much just inject you with ketamine and allegedly it works (laughs) for a lot of people but I want to note that it does not work for everybody at all it it makes a lot of people very very ill is um, a lot of the reviews I've heard about ketamine clinics but for a lot ah, of people it works ill ill
2: ill in the sense of just like Sick. Nausea. Yeah. For know, months though.
1: I've heard oh, I've heard wow. accounts of people being sick for quite literally months after t- doing a ketamine um treatment for depression. But I've also heard of people going in for a ketamine treatment and being depressed their entire life and coming out feeling like, why the fuck was I ever depressed? Like ever. Right. And yeah. so it's very what Micah was saying earlier. It's very subjective. It's a very, very subjective chemical. Um, Depending on the person who's taking it, the we can't even really say subjective on the amounts at that point. Because if you're going to a clinic, they're pretty much giving everyone the same amount.
3: Honestly, a lot of drugs are. uh, You can't really like think of one drug as affecting everyone in the same way. Like you have to like all drugs affect everyone differently. So, uh, do you know, just cause you're like everyone's brain beating different and stuff. So like, even though they give the same dose of, you know, ketamine to someone, like you can't expect that to do the same thing to every single person because of obviously right. body weight and, uh, just how their brain works differently. It's the same thing with like weed. Like some people can smoke weed. Some people can't.
2: Well, and same thing that you, I think mentioned, um, in our last episode about people with the red hair, right. And yeah, yeah. the, some of those anesthetics, I feel like it could also be like that for certain people and their genetics when it comes to ketamine as an anesthetic. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think with things like depression there, it's, it's so not known about what actually causes depression. It's such a almost personality level trait to have that. It's like, how how can you say a chemical even fixes that? Like to treat depression, it's really defined the root cause and do we really know the root cause of depression, other than societal? Like society, societal is the easiest thing to say depression is caused by, but people mm. really have. Well, the easy, the the most general thing to say it's caused by, but d- depression can really be inherent in the in the like almost genetic, right? Can you? Well, Micah, you know about genetics. Can you pass depression down? <laughs>
0: um
2: yeah essentially yes you know in a sense you can uh and and this is because of what they call epigenetics um epigenetics just kind of refer to changes in uh, someone's genome that occur throughout their life and in a sense could be hereditarily uh passed on you know to their offspring um so things like addiction and stress depression anxiety um you know all kinds of stuff all kinds of mental things they they still have a very biological role to them and yes we don't really understand them that well right now right like uh, a lot of what we know about de- depression is at a biological level is the serotonin argument yeah right um like not having uh, serotonin Pretty much processing itself correctly in the brain leads to depression is one of the thoughts. So,
1: it kind, of, well, and that leads into things with like SSRIs, but that doesn't work for a lot of people. It, it works for some though. Some, and so yeah, the thing is, is yeah, that
2: then it's okay. kind of like if is it, it a works, societal thing at that then point it right? must have been the serotonin, yeah, right, for yeah. the people that it works for those drugs, exactly. And uh, to just like give a little bit of the science background on those drugs, SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so essentially what they do is they inhibit serotonin from being uh, reuptaken uh, into the neuron that it was first sent out from. So when two neurons are communicating with each other, they will, one neuron will send neurotransmitters, which are chemicals like serotonin, dopamine, and adrenaline and stuff like that, uh, to the other neuron, right? And when that neuron ends up picking it up, it picks it up on uh, using these proteins embedded in it that are called receptors, right? And so serotonin or different things will come and attach to those receptors. But serotonin and other neurotransmitters in the normal brain uh, would be recycled back into the what they call presynaptic neuron, the neuron that first sent it out. And this is a process that just happens naturally all the time. So you've got serotonin going from one neuron to the next and constantly going back to the first neuron that it came from. And this is called reuptake, right? So these SSRIs, what they pretty much do is they stop the serotonin from being recycled back into the neuron that it came from so that there's more serotonin hanging out in that gap in between the two neurons, the synapse. And they think that people who are depressed at a biological level are lacking this ability to keep serotonin kind of hanging out here. So use a drug that inhibits the reuptake of serotonin into the first neuron that it came from.
1: So in layman's wow. term, it creates a dam.
2: Yeah. Yeah, essentially it does. It, it pretty much makes like a block between both of the neurons so that serotonin is constantly, uh, in a sense, attaching to receptors and constantly there and working, doing its thing. Yeah. And so hopefully the idea is that people would— Uh, feel better, depression-wise, if they had low or just serotonin that wasn't working very well. But the thing that you were mentioning was that tons of people aren't really responsive to this type of treatment for depression. Like, they get put on something like Prozac or Zoloft, which are SSRIs, uh, and then those don't work, and they still want to kill themselves. Um, So things like ketamine end up getting uh, usually prescribed or talked about by the physician or
1: psychiatrist um, in those situations. So... With that, I feel like we've kind of just breezed into science corner with Micah. <laughs> it, like, it, it, do you want to talk about why ketamine would even be helpful? Like, is it is it understood why ketamine is helpful with things like depression?
2: Yeah. So as of like pretty recently, um, ketamine has been discovered as having antidepressant um, properties to it, and I say recently because it's been within the past century. So like the beginning of the uh twenty first century we kind of discovered um scientists discovered that ketamine has antidepressant qualities to it and so uh it is still something that remains to be elucidated completely but I think in the consensus when it comes to like what other researchers have talked about and written about and published in their work is that uh there's this chemical this transcription factor called um, a uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and essentially what its job is, is creating new neurons. Um, so, uh, when we talked about psilocybin in the first episode, having these neurogenesis and synaptogenesis uh, aspects or qualities to them, um, essentially what some of the neurogenesis things come from, or the argument of how like brain brain cells can um, you know create themselves on their own is through uh, this transcription factor called BDNF, right? And so what they've seen in uh, vitro, which means in a a test tube, right, not in a live animal or something, Um, they've shown that uh, ketamine actually does induce the expression, meaning it turns on the gene to, uh, in a sense, spit out BDNF as a protein. Um, So you give ketamine to cells or to an animal, And what it does is it goes in and sort of makes this BDNF activate and go in and start creating new neurons. So one of the arguments is that because ketamine has this ability to create new neurons, as well as synapses, the connections between the two neurons, um, it likely is creating new connections in the brain that don't have these um, deficits to them, right? These serotonin uh, potential reuptake problems or uh, any any issue. In a sense, a lot of what the kind of layman's term description for ketamine in therapy uh, for mental health therapy is that it is rewiring the brain.
1: That's what it sounds like. It sounds wow. like it's essentially making new receptors, right? Am, yeah, it's I'm... making
2: new connections. Yeah, which yeah. the receptors are a part of the connection. So yeah, in a sense, it's making new receptors. It's com- it's literally creating new brain cells. That's um, crazy. And that's the idea is that so with it, people when they get given ketamine in, in treatment, whether it's a therapy session or whether it's literally just an infusion where they get an eye mask and music to listen to and lay down in a chair for, uh, what researchers have seen is that these people who are literally on the verge of killing themselves because nothing else has worked, when they get one infusion of ketamine, they can go home and live their life normally, way bef- like normal in a sense, before their depression, Right. Uh, for months, they don't want to kill themselves. And this is after one dose or maybe wow. one session of a few doses with ketamine. This is something that you would never, ever see with SSRIs no. like Prozac or even talk therapy, right? Like session of talk therapy and suddenly they don't want to die anymore. Yeah, no. It, it's just not going to happen. Right. So ketamine <laughs> is actually considered kind of like a miracle drug in the depression, you know, uh, psychiatry, kind of world of of things right now.
1: That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a quite literally a miracle.
2: (laughs) Well, and you know what? It was a miracle for my mom. Uh, my mom is someone who I really wanted to talk about in this episode because she, uh, she had back surgery for a crushed disc. Can't remember which one. Um, but she went in, she had her surgery for it, hoping that she would be able to be mobile and, you know, doing her thing normally afterward. Uh, instead the complete opposite happened. And, um, Essentially what had happened was the surgeon had snipped the wrong nerve um, during this this whole surgery and it caused her foot, right? So she was having surgery on her back. It caused her foot to lose all like uh, most nerve connection to where the bottom of her foot turned completely black. But she was experiencing neuropathy, which is like uh, neuropathic pain. It's a lot of what the pain that uh, people with diabetes experience um in her foot and the thing is is that opiates the painkillers uh that you get prescribed at a hospital typically uh they don't work on nerve pain so she was pretty much in chronic pain as soon as she left the uh hospital after her surgery and what the doctors described it as was this thing called uh complex regional pain syndrome or uh C- CRPS and when you look into CRPS, there's actually not any cure or, or really viable treatment that's being used because it's just not that common. It's just kind of an accidental thing that happens with certain surgeries. So, it's so
1: messed
2: up. Super <laughs> messed up. It's super sad. It's like she went into the hospitals, spent all this money, and then came out with something literally worse. Yeah, so, I
1: remember. I remember I was around your mom at that time, and she, yeah, Mike is not getting her foot turned black. Like, and she was
2: bedridden. Like she, was, she just, sat in a hospital bed in our house
1: yeah a hospital bed and then had to move around on crutches if she was gonna move and couldn't
2: put a shoe on
1: couldn't put a shoe on well her shoe was too big or her foot was too big for a shoe like yeah it was it was incredibly sad and over trying to make herself healthier with a with a back surgery it really messed her up but it, if you want to go ahead and tell the people what happened
2: yeah so like the only reason I bring this up is that uh, uh I had a friend from um elementary school, actually, uh, who I had met in campus, Washington and stayed in touch with. And her mom also had had this complex regional pain syndrome, CRPS. Um, and it affected her hips. So she would always walk around in a walker. And I remembered this. And so I talked to her about it and she had said, Oh, my mom has been in remission for years now. And I say, wait, what? And she goes, well, you know, she went and tried ketamine down in California somewhere at a clinic where they gave it to her for that exact pain condition, which is not very well understood. Um, so I told my mom about it. And so my mom and her partner and, and her family members, they're going and they're learning all about it, right? As much as they possibly can. Well, they ended up raising and, or, you know, uh, getting 10 grand put together, which was a lot uh, at the time. And, and still is. <laughs> sent my mom, no, yeah, it's way more than I could ever imagine having yeah. to spend on myself for medical stuff, right? Uh, But they sent her down to California as well. Uh, My mom did not go to the same clinic as my friend's mom, but same uh, scenario, right? She's getting treated for this pain situation that's not really able to get treated by anything else. Uh, She spent five days in a clinic getting 400 milligrams per day uh, as an infusion. So it was a slow infusion, like a drip of ketamine uh, into her vein throughout the day. And you know she didn't really like it. <laughs> she thought that it was a kind of an in, intense, uh, you know, difficult experience. Something that she wasn't really into. Uh, and my mom, you know, she's she's dabbled around and partied a little bit, right? But uh, the really the cool thing that came out of this whole thing was that she has been in remission ever since, and it's been pretty much since I met you, Raven. Um, so maybe almost ten years now. It's um,
1: quite literally like I I watched her. Shit. Uh, not be able to walk. I I remember her getting the surgery, not being able to walk, her foot swelling, turning black, going down to California and just getting this treatment. And it's 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 so hard to believe that they're they're telling you, oh, we're going to shoot you up with ketamine for a couple days, and it's going to rewire essentially your nervous system, right? Like, yeah, that's it, the idea. It's hard to believe, but to watch her come back and be in full health again and be able to walk and move. And her foot was fine. And she has never once had a problem since. Like No,
2: Yeah, there's been certain things like, like the cold fuck. weather. Sometimes she thinks that she might go back into remission. And I just keep telling her, like, look, uh, you know, ketamine is even more available now than it was when you first got it. So, like, if you need to do it again, you'll be able to. There's Portland ketamine clinics for people with depression. There's ketamine clinics all over the U.S., like Raven had mentioned. And so I think that it's something that, like, you know, if, if it were to come back for her, she knows now that she has a treatment for it, which is great. And the other thing is is that she was a part of the beginning of other people who may end up with this condition, and now they'll be able to see her experience with it and other people's experience with it, and they'll be able to go and get that treatment done. Um, so I think that's great.
1: So between being just a miracle treatment for depression and people with chronic nerve, dis- like, uh, disabilities, like, it is. It's mind blowing that it it hasn't been a mainstay in uh, medical use sooner. It, it's been always used as a um, anesthetic, but it it's just it blows my mind that it has not been used more as as, as a helpful thing within um, depression and in uh, other treatments. It's- yeah,
2: me me too. Honestly, I think that part of that is just that it's been so recently discovered, right? Like, in the 60s, 70s. I mean, psychedelics were kind of discovered back then too, though. So, right now, we're just now touching the stuff with psychedelics that we were figuring out back then. Yeah. So, in a sense, like we're in the perfect time for all of this. But, there was one thing I wanted to mention about ketamine, and I think the reason that it has this rewiring aspect to it that people are talking about is just because of the mechanism of action that the drug has. So, ketamine is like we'd mentioned earlier, very similar to PCP. Um, and the reason that they're so similar is, for one, the structure, right? The, the the chemical structure of these compounds are actually very similar. And so the way that they're structured, like I had mentioned with psilocybin and cocaine, uh, kind of deems how they're going to react with different chemicals in the brain. And so we have the receptor that's called the NMDA receptor. This is the N-methyl d aspirate <laughs> receptor long long term, but really it's a family of what are called glutamate receptors, so excitatory neuron receptors. Um, and they play this important role in learning and memory and are incredibly crucial for spatial memory. And so one of the things that is crazy about ketamine and PCP is that they have the ability to antagonize. It means they come onto the neuron or the, the receptor it attaches on, the drug literally attaches onto the receptor, the NMDA receptor, and it blocks the action of that receptor from working. So when ketamine does that, or PCP does that, it essentially causes the body to sort of shut down physically, but the brain is still working, right? It's still running. So you're able to get surgery done. You're able to have all these things done and you won't remember them. You won't feel them. But I think that because it affects such a wide range of like these receptors are literally around your entire body. They have to be because if you could be being fully numb from a drug in your whole body, obviously these neurons and these receptors are everywhere. So I just have this feeling that the, the the argument of why it's a potentially rewiring chemical is that it attacks or attaches to these receptors so intensely widespread throughout the nervous system that it also has the ability to alter the way that these receptors do their normal job. And I'll say that from experience, whereas one of the interesting things about taking a lot of ketamine is the psychedelic or sort of trippy aspect that can come. And I think one of the coolest things that I, I believe ketamine has to offer is the ability to put you back into the scenario that you had just been in, maybe a day ago or a few hours ago. So for example, you take the drug, you take a dose, you lay down, you, you get into your, your state of you know relaxation or whatever you do. And you end up sort of hearing the people that you were just talking to three hours ago, or you see them, or you feel their presence around you. And I think that there's this thing because the NMDA receptor has so much to do with learning and memory, there is this thing that ha- has to do with ketamine affecting it where your brain sort of forgets what is real. And so it goes back to what its first memories were just a few hours before you took the drug were. And I think that while by giving yourself a ton of this drug, like these infusions for these days, you know, long hours through these days, I think that the idea from the researchers is that you give so much of it to the nervous system that the nervous system literally does start to change just like it would to any drug, right? That's how tolerance works. And good things happen from it, right? Like therapeutic effects happen from these changes. Who knows all of the nitty gritty science behind that? That's literally been some of the biggest stuff in the research right now. Is like, how do we really define what it is that ketamine's doing other than, oh, we can see that in a test tube it does this stuff to these you know receptors. So essentially, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I feel like, it really does have to do a lot with the argument that maybe it's rewiring.
1: It just sounds like the ultimate reset button.
2: <laughs> I do believe that it is. Yeah, honestly, seriously. I'll say that firsthand. I think that it is the <clears throat> number one reset for the human um, body and brain.
1: Wow. Well, it as hard as it is to segue into the next subject, because that was so profound. It, you, I love the way you described that in… You just really explained it very, very well. And I think it just—honestly, it blows my mind the the things ketamine can do because I've witnessed it being an actual miracle, and I think more people should take it seriously. But uh, yeah, as hard as it is (laughs) to segue from intense science and (laughs) how it affects people— Ryan, <laughs> well,
2: it's not that hard, by the way, Ryan. Because my mom said that she was given a really cool playlist whenever she,
3: which is exactly what I was yeah. about to get into, actually. So I was going to say it's not hard at all to transition. Okay, so. good. I'm <laughs> fucking buckle well, up, boys. I, I was so I was
1: listening so intently. I I, I think you guys noticed how I didn't interrupt once. I was listening so intently to Micah describe all those things. It's. <laughs> let's let's lighten the mood
3: <laughs> sorry guys. well no science is
1: fucking amazing no. it just blows my freaking mind. Yo,
3: that was very that was very interesting to listen to yeah, I, uh, I got learnt as fuck during that dude so ryan <laughs>
1: it's time to hear from you let's switch over from science to pop culture what do you have for us i
3: i need i need some levity uh. <laughs> i need some levity uh, all right, so yeah, what I was going to talk about, which transitioning from what Micah was saying about his mom, how she had a cool playlist uh, when she had ketamine therapy uh, is that, uh, well, the thing with ketamine is like other psychedelics, uh, it increases your, recepti- your receptivity to emotions and sensations, which music addresses both of these things. So if it's increasing your receptivity to that, uh, and you play music; it's going to bring out those, uh, you know, you know, emotions and sensations. Uh, and so, one of the very important things about ketamine therapy is uh, to choose a playlist that is very calming. Well, especially if this is your first time doing ketamine uh, in any sort, whether therapy or whatever, um, they say to choose a very calming music that doesn't really have vocals or anything in it uh, just some like ambient type of stuff, uh, just to like really ease yourself into the experience because as like other psychedelics, you can have a bad experience. Uh, so you have less likely, you have less of a chance to have a bad experience if you have a playlist that is, you know, calming and stuff like that. And, um, so they say to get as comfortable as you can with the treatment, uh, and just like play something play anything that is like very ambient like maybe like nature noises can and I, stuff like can that I just like ask things a things that aren't going to be distracting do you, do you yeah, think it's up? maybe
1: because like lyrics can kind of put you into a thought loop
3: well yeah that but also if especially if you're listening to a song you've never heard before and all of a sudden like a vocal comes in it can be very distracting because you're hearing a person distracting talk and disorienting rather than just I like, feel like
1: would yeah.
3: Well, especially if it being a dissociative, yeah. like when you start hearing someone talk while you're on that type of thing is, I can't imagine that being peaceful. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about, yeah, like, so.
1: figure out why you shouldn't hear lyrics. Um, no, yeah, like for a sure. Talking can maybe no, it's be a good very question. disorienting <laughs> while, while you're yeah. on something dissociative.
3: No, it, yeah, exactly. And it's and it, overall just distracting from your, especially if you're trying to use it for treatment, uh, whether it be, you know, depression, PTSD, or whatever, whatever the use is yeah. for, like Mike had discussed earlier, there's lots of different uses for it uh, it, uh, it can just be distracting, especially if it's your first time, but they do say once you get more comfortable with the treatment, like after you have a few sessions that you can start incorporating music that, you know, and stuff like that, because, uh, you're kind of used to the experience and it's not going to be so overwhelming to, you know, have, or it probably won't be as overwhelming or distracting to have that going on. Um, so they say also, if you need to like grieve or depending on what your thing is like or what you're you know, going for in this treatment, if you need to grieve, they say sad music might be very helpful for it. So, you, you know, you can put calming music in there and you can put sad music in there, whatever you're really going for, for this experience, like those types of things can help. Um, and so they say, uh, the, like the core playlist should be no less than 60 minutes, uh, cause that's, I don't know if we discussed earlier about how long ketamine usually don't lasts think for. We
1: did.
3: I don't think we did. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, you can correct me if I'm about this, but they, they say that usually like the, on, like from the onset to like the peak experience is about 60 minutes. And then after that, there's like maybe like a 30 to hour minute or hour come down. Is that correct?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say that's pretty much correct, but the, the onset is about five to 10 minutes. Um, depending on the route ad- administration. And then okay. I'd say the peak of effects would probably be around 30 minutes or even less than that.
3: Okay, um, yeah. So like really but, intense, like...
2: Yeah, like the full effects, probably around 20 to 30 minutes after ingestion. And that it really depends on how you ingest it, right? Yeah. So like sure. if it were injected, uh, this would be shortened by like a factor of 20 or something. You know what I mean? So, like, sure. if you were to inject it, the peak is probably going to come within two minutes. Wow! Um, and yeah,
1: like yeah. we spoke about earlier, the reason it was chosen as a anesthetic over PCP is because of the short duration, specifically. Yeah, it right. does not. It it typically does not last that long. Well, I shouldn't even say typically. It just does not last that long.
2: Yes, it does. I sure. mean, it would continue to last though if you were to re-dose on yeah. it. Yeah, Like I if mean, someone but, was using it throughout the night. Yeah, okay, but just I
1: one see. solid, like one one. Say someone was injecting it. One solid injection is going to last what thirty forty five minutes?
3: Yeah, tops. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, they, well, they say that playlist should be no less than sixty minutes uh and it's wise to include another thirty minutes of ambient music at the end for either meditation or journaling as you're kind of coming down from this experience uh so I guess this is they're probably talking about uh i guess would, would it be snorting it or would it be mixing it like is it how would the how would the ingestion um, be without in without like shoot like uh injecting it well, so when it comes to playlists, it's always like uh like in this medical setting right right it's always going to be infusions, which is an IV. Okay. I, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I was going to say, it would be weird for that, for them to like, fucking snort it.
2: Well, I mean, it. yeah, it is weird, right? But the FDA approved uh, ketamine nasal sprays for depression treatment. Oh, so, yeah, interesting. Like, okay. you can take them home, even, uh, okay. ketamine, ketamine nasal sprays. But, yeah, most of the time, ketamine treatments are always going to be with an IV. And um, infusions
1: aren't going to be just all of the dose- right at once typically no. they're going to be dripped so yeah. it's going to last a little mm-hmm. bit longer than if someone were to just do intermuscular injection um, yeah
2: which all- is the more common route right like yeah. the, the muscle <laughs> injection um is the most common route for ketamine
1: yeah um, okay. And it usually
2: comes on pretty slowly i think that's actually why recreational users inject ketamine in their muscles is because uh it comes on slowly so they have more chance of uh, cleaning up right um and, you know, uh, being more safe with their sharps uh, um, because it, it takes longer for it to come on than if they were to, like, inject it into their vein. Um.
3: Yeah. Uh, okay, for sure. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Uh, that's good to know. Uh, they, so, yeah, so they basically just say to, you know, and maybe include, like, if you're not going to add ambient music and stuff in, like, the whole period and 60-minute playlist or more. Uh, then to maybe add some of that towards the end, or you can do both or whatever, uh, just to like have the most out of your experience. Uh, so some of the other music that they say to choose for the playlist is like, uh, synthesized sounds that are like rhythmic and droning. And, uh, there's actually a person who made a, uh, who, who made an, an album literally for psycho, like psychedelic therapy. It's called uh, music for psychedelic therapy. <laughs> it's uh by it's by a dude named John Hopkins, uh not the college slash medical school, whatever. Yeah, um, I think
2: John Hopkins is actually like an EDM producer.
3: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, just because it's like a full experience thing. So I will get yeah, you to that. You haven't done ketamine yet. Yeah, okay. I also haven't done ketamine. So you know, maybe it's a good time. Maybe maybe that'll be my first time. Uh, if yeah. I ever do ketamine for. I,
1: I just thought of <laughs> Talladega Nights where he says, I've smoked weed with John Hopkins. Or, right? Didn't he say I that? I don't
3: think that's what he says. I'm fairly certain yeah, that's what I don't what he remember says. that at all. <laughs> right. Anyways, uh so um it, anyways, this, this so this album is literally made for well in his mind was made for ketamine, so it's about the yeah, same length. That. Well no, I didn't say that. Uh, Wait no, it, sorry,
1: not to not to rewind back, but in Talladega,
3: or no, is in Step
1: Brothers? He said, "I smoked pot with Johnny Hopkins."
3: <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right, <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, appreciate that. Uh, so anyway, hey, so we really gotta stop. What I was saying right. about his album, I feel so bad. What I was saying about this album before I was rudely interrupted. uh it's the same length as a ketamine trip so it uh it's literally made for ketamine so it's you know there's a nice graceful come up or whatever and then as music throughout the peak and then music to bring you back down so it's uh it's pretty interesting that this guy did that so which brings me to my next thing about raves and that whole culture uh which Micah knows all about going to EDM shows and stuff um So I guess this is why ketamine has become a drug of choice for electronic shows uh, is because of the shorter duration of being able to go and take whatever amount and go to a show and then still be able to like sober up and go home afterwards. Uh, And also the way with uh, how ketamine sounds with music apparently sounds very interesting with heavy bass. Like I guess the bass, like heavy bass is very comfortable and soothing kind of when you're on that type of, feeling disassociative uh these are things i've read from people online and And uh,
1: typically at a at a show um if people are going to be taking ketamine i just want to be clear because we said the most common way of application is intermuscular but at like a show or something people would usually be uh snorting it almost like cocaine
3: uh yeah yeah for sure um yeah i just wanted to No, yeah, that's a good thing to add in. Um, But so like what I was saying earlier with the uh, like not having lyrics and stuff like that, that's probably why ketamine is so popular at EDM shows is because there are no really no lyrics. There's like maybe sound effects or there may be samples of stuff, but it's not like it's not like a pop show where there is like a main vocalist or something like that. So I assume that's probably why ketamine is fairly popular is because of music sounding very cool on it. And also the fact that it has not really many lyrics that it is like the whole distracting thing I was saying earlier with, uh, yeah. Get I mean, um, so yeah, I guess people have said that, uh, like the whole disassociation of your body allows you to like really just fully immerse yourself into the music and just completely like, like take away your whole like feeling of your body and just like really just take your mind, like let your mind just flow into the music Uh, which is pretty cool. Like, I, you know, not having, you know, loving music and not having done ketamine. I feel like I can imagine that because I love music and, you know, really, really just dive into it when I'm listening to it. But also if I could just take away the whole feeling of my body at the same time, like that would be fucking pretty sweet. So I (laughs) totally understand that, uh, theoretically, (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah And then also just like The I weird like- sounds of like EDM And like the ex- Like just the experiences Of just like Crazy distorted bass And just like Sound effects and stuff Would just be like Pretty fucking cool probably um, I'd well, say you so. said You were gonna say something Raven
1: Oh I feel like you I, With the way you are with music You don't even need ketamine
3: Oh uh, <laughs> no that, Yeah there? totally That's why I was like If I added <laughs> ketamine To that mixture dude Like fuck I don't even know What would happen dude my body sure cool. as hell wouldn't know what happened. <laughs> should
1: we should we take a pause and assume you would get addicted? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and talk about addiction? Yeah. I
3: mean, I uh, yeah, I no, don't we know. we could go forward with I don't really have an Ryan? addictive personality, so like, yeah, No, that, not Ryan, you personally.
1: I, I just wanted to kind of talk about addiction.
3: Oh, all right. Uh well, let me finish what we, I was we saying. Could,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely finish what you're saying.
3: Uh, so anyways, uh, so at lower doses, I guess people can like still dance and aren't completely like disassociated from their bodies, which is what makes it kind of cool is like what you guys were saying earlier about like almost like the drunk thing of like, you know, kind of just like not being fully fucked up, but like, you know, feeling kind of that slowness, I guess, uh, would be, would, is probably why, you know, people enjoy it, uh, so I guess also people have reported similar, like, hallucinations, like, as LSD. So similar to the LSD, I guess, uh, at some points, uh, in some ways. And so since they're, like, you know, those types of shows have a lot of visuals, I'm sure that's probably why people also do cocaine, because you can hallucinate and uh, see weird shit. Um, Do, do ketamine. Ketamine. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what did I say? <laughs> you do said cocaine. cocaine. <laughs> Oh, Alright, we'll put one TTS. I I'll put in a uh, fucking <laughs> TTS. Uh, yeah, do yeah the TTS exactly. <laughs> Get domain. Get domain. No, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, but it's crazy though because uh, they did a, they did a test or like a uh, survey type of thing at uh, a bunch of raves, and they found that self reported use. And with doing hair testing. So, I don't know if people were like giving them their hair or how that, how they even got people's hair. <laughs> they just shoved their head in their pants and yeah, like I, I, I have no idea. Well, while someone was completely disassociated. Someone was going around giving this? people haircuts. <laughs> so, and it, basically, I, d- I, I assumed they were doing these surveys and they were probably just giving hair samples and stuff. Uh, but so yeah. they, uh, between the self reported use, and which was around 16%. And then the actual hair testing, they found that around 40% of atten- of EDM attendees uh, use ketamine. And so yeah, I assume shit. that's from, yeah. So that's probably from people like selling ecstasy and molly or whatever and being like, oh, this is like that. But really it's like ketamine or ketamine being mixed in with other drugs or whatever. Um, so very, very interesting that well, f- around 40% of people at EDM shows are doing ketamine.
2: I'll say the first time that I went to a music festival, it was Electric Forest in Michigan. Some of you may know. It's really big, super fancy, super cool. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, as soon as I set up my tent, <laughs> you know, I thought the first thing that I would be asked for, right, at an electronic music festival would have been things like Molly. Do you want Molly? Do you want ecstasy? You know, do you want acid? Cocaine. That kind of, that kind of stuff. Cocaine. Literally the first like five people that came up to me and asked me if I wanted drugs, they asked me if I wanted kitty. Um, and they're referring to ketamine. And everyone is wearing these little necklaces with fucking tiny spoons on them.
0: And <laughs> like, literally these tiny
2: jewelry wrapped spoons. Like they literally put so much time and effort into these beautifully jewel- like these like wire wrapped spoons. But these spoons are for ketamine. <laughs> Dude. Um, <laughs> so cool. yeah, I mean if if pretty much half the festival is fucking using ketamine, I I will attest to saying that yes, that, that would make sense.
1: I almost <laughs> find it hard to believe it was only you said 40%? Uh yeah, around 40%. I find it hard to believe it's that low.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was like on this was but these were people that were, you know, Going to do the survey and stuff. So it's like, oh, you have to think of, okay. A lot of people okay. that are doing ketamine pro- or any other drugs probably aren't going to be willing to share that information. So, um, well, one thing you were just talking about with, 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 uh, you said kitty, the uh, people say they call it kitty. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier kitty flipping, which yeah. is the mixture of MDMA and ketamine. Right. Yeah, well, and sometimes it's actually referred to as, I think,
2: uh, the LSD and ketamine mix as well.
3: Oh, really? Interesting.
2: I mean, I don't know. That might
3: have its own name. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I read I that it was MDMA and uh, ketamine, but, you know. Yeah,
2: usually flipping is anything with MDMA. I see, So, like, okay. the, the candy flip is M- LSD and MDMA, but right. really, you know, the kitty flip, I'm sure you read a lot of really cool things about and people like it a lot. Yeah, I would say that the more common thing, especially at music festivals and concerts, uh, is the LSD and ketamine combo. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I don't know if you
3: have heard anyone talk about that in the music world. <laughs> oh, but- no, well, he's,
1: he's definitely heard.
3: <laughs> I mean, I've heard of. Uh, I read it a little bit when I was researching stuff, but I personally don't know anyone that's mentioned doing ketamine and oh, LSD. I've told you. You have.
1: Oh, well, I'll talk about it in my personal experience. Uh, I, I want you to finish, um, oh, like, go right. on with what you are. talking uh, about.
3: Well, I mean, re- yeah, that was— re- I just wanted to really mention just, like, the kitty-flipping things we mentioned earlier and just kind of explain what it was. Uh, and then I also just wanted to mention that um, probably the reason why EDM is so popular, to, like, with ketamine and drugs and that type of stuff, is that the uh, age of— uh, the majority of users are mostly under 30— and uh, 74% in the U.S. are 12 to 25. Uh, and that's Whoa. off of the Department of Justice website. What? what? <laughs> yeah. Are you so, kidding me, dude? <laughs> if no, I would have found K when I was 12,
2: It would be no, surely dead by dude, now. Dude, no, that's, that's insane. Tw-
1: 12 to 25, though. Yeah, but so, still, that's- So maybe... Maybe three percent of them, hopefully, were anywhere from 12 to 20. Hopefully, yeah. I
3: assume most people are 18 to 25, but I guess yeah. that age range of 12. I don't know, you know, kids are weird these days, dude. That's a rough uh, age yeah, range. Well, weird. and they also say that it usually comes from like middle to high income families, uh, is like the usage of ketamine, uh, and which is explains like, I guess, kind of why like a lot of like EDM people do it because it's like you know it's kind of expensive to go to these shows and stuff like that. So if you have money to go to these shows, obviously, like, uh, not all shows are, you know, cheap or anything like, or, you know, some shows are cheaper, some shows are not. But I feel like most, generally, most festivals are fairly expensive. So if you have, you know, it would make sense that, you know, people using these drugs come from those types of families. Yeah, Uh, and I think another thing to really probably add with the music stuff is that it really
2: depends on the crowd right so if you go to like some trance show or like house music show you're really not going to see 40% of the users there doing ketamine it's just not going to happen yeah, uh, but you go to sense. a really like heavy bass show like you were saying um you're more likely to see it so i think like artists like um you know in the in the like like Tipper, right? For example, there's a lot of people at the Tipper shows that are wearing these spoon necklaces yeah.
0: Yeah. and
2: handing out ketamine to each other and, and whatnot. And I think there's less of the other drugs at events like that, uh, you know, drugs like cocaine and MDMA, and, and ketamine sort of replaced those drugs for that. Ah. So it, I, I was just going to say, like it really almost depends on the genre, it seems right now uh, in the community where like...
1: Which a lot of people generalize EDM
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, because it's like one of the hardest genres to really describe. Yeah. Right. It's the biggest umbrella term. It's electronic dance music. It's that could refer to literally anything.
1: (laughs) And (laughs) a lot of it, if you were to go there, it's like, how do I dance to this? It's really experimental and just very, very different. Um, Really bassy, almost (laughs) slightly confusing.
3: (laughs) Yeah. To uh,
1: a first timer, at least.
3: No, I'm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've only been to a couple of EDM shows, uh, and it was a very interesting experience the first time. Uh, but it's cool, like you know, it's uh, it's just different than what you you're usually you know used to going to like a pop show or a rock show or something like that. It's a completely different culture, which but it's it's oh yeah, it's own thing and it's really interesting. It's really cool. Kind of um, just like ketamine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very true. Very true. Hand. Uh, but yeah, that's really it all, seems I, like- all, all I had to talk about uh, with, you know, the culture. We kind of, ba- all all the other stuff that I was going to talk about, we kind of already did, which was like the whole thing in like Hong Kong and all that, like the Southeast Asian countries using uh, ketamine a lot. Um,
1: oh, yeah. It's still huge in Thailand. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. exactly. In you know, <laughs> Malaysia and a lot of those like sou- Southeast Asian countries. Um, oh, yeah. Which is very interesting because of, uh, you know, Communism being very prominent in those areas, and we talked earlier about. Well, uh, people and what going about, to jail and for drugs. Uh, what were you saying, Micah? Uh, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to um, cut you off. I was just going to say, like, what
2: What about the most prevalent, like, or uh, not prevalent, but what country is using ketamine the most right now, guys?
1: The UK. Yeah.
2: The right? UK. Yeah. Yes. Um, And it is. It's actually a huge problem. There's even a phrase for um, one of the cities or provinces. I don't know. Well, we
1: should talk about the symptom first.
3: We will. Yeah, I think okay. it's just that Sorry.
2: there's there's so much ketamine being used in the UK that they've they've deemed this like phrase for some of the people that are addicted to it and are having health complications. They've called it Bristol bladder. I'm pretty sure Br- Bristol is either a city or like a province in the UK. Um, ketamine does... Attack the bladder. Uh, It causes lots of issues to the bladder um, when used excessively. And in the the UK, ketamine is actually, I think, $10 on average for a gram. Um, Uh, Compared
1: to 80 to 100 in the United States? (laughs) Exactly.
2: And so people are buying like 10 grams of ketamine at a time and using all of that in a weekend partying with their friends. Well... This, the problem is, is that ketamine builds up in the system a little bit. Like it does get flushed out when you pee, but not all of it. And, and I don't actually know all of the nitty gritty science behind how ketamine wreaks the havoc that it does on the bladder. But I do know that some of the things that we've seen from patients who have come in and had to have help. I, I say we when I'm talking about like science and healthcare professionals in general, um, when they come to the hospital with this intense chronic pain that they've been experiencing in their stomach, their abdomen area, um, or maybe just their bladder pelvic area, uh, they, some of these people have lost bladder tissue. Like lining of the bladder has literally decreased so much that their bladder is smaller than it used to be. They have to pee uh, every 20 to 30 minutes. So their sleeping is super messed up, right? They're, they're just pretty much like kind of falling apart. And the problem is, is that a lot of these people will just keep using the ketamine because it's kind of a pain reliever in the sense that it's an anesthetic. So it, yeah. it numbs this pain that is only being brought on from the excessive ketamine use. And they just keep doing it. So it's this like perpetuating a cycle. cycle. Yeah. yeah. And it really sucks because, you know, a lot of people get into ketamine because it helped them with depression, right? Or it helped them with something, maybe. Or maybe they just got into it because for fun whatever but it is addictive it's incredibly i think addictive for certain people and this addictive thing that comes from it is really scary because it's not like weed or other drugs where you can use it every day and you know only experience some of the negative side effects that come from mental addiction this uh, doesn't necessarily have a physical dependence aspect but
1: other than oh no it it just wreaks havoc on your body physical dependence it's really, toxic. Yeah, it ruins your bladder. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. so
2: people have had crazy. to get fucking prosthetic, <laughs> prosthetic oh, yeah. bladders too. Yeah, catheters put in, prosthetic bladders, all sorts of insane things that I don't want to scare too too many people away from ketamine because it might be a viable treatment for you one day or something. But this is excessive use for years. So every day— And
1: usually I am, right? Intermuscular? No, actually oh. more
2: so with uh, up the nose. So oh. the idea oh. is that when ketamine is— Insufflated. When, when it's snorted, it's mostly going to be absorbed in your mucous membranes that are lining your, your nasal passage, right? But some of that is going to get into the esophagus. It's what people refer to as the drip,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And so when they snort a drug, they might taste it in their throat. Well, when ketamine gets down into the body, uh, like goes all the way from the esophagus into the stomach and stuff, it really shouldn't be there. <laughs> right? Like you wanted it to just get into your blood so that it could go to the brain and do its job. Yeah. You didn't need it to be in your stomach. And now it's sitting in your stomach. Like some of it is sitting in your stomach. And the other thing is, is that there's metabolites. So like with the process of metabolizing ketamine, which is what your stomach will do, uh, is it creates metabolites of ketamine. There's this one called nor ketamine. And I think that norketamine ketamine is actually more toxic uh, than ketamine itself. So by snorting ketamine, you're essentially getting a good amount of ketamine into your system, your like body, I guess, more so than your blood. Whereas if you were to inject the drug, it's going straight to the blood. It's not getting what we call the first, the first pass effect. It's not going through the liver. It's not going through a, a metabolism. It's not being created into a new drug. Uh, you're not peeing it out necessarily. I mean, if you inject ketamine at one point, yes, you're going to pee out some of it, uh, but it's probably safer to be injecting ketamine and that's probably why they inject people with it in a hospital setting rather than um,
1: make people snort lines off yeah yeah just like <laughs> racking
2: them up with their credit cards being like
1: alright bro hit this <laughs> yo hit this. <laughs> yo we're gonna pull your tooth hit this <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> you won't <all get>
2: do it <laughs> <Pussy>. <laughs> gorilla finger line oh god <laughs> Jesus I think there was a, a lady in Hong Kong actually because of her addiction to <laughs> oh, it. She yeah. snorted. It. I shouldn't be laughing. I'm sorry, guys. No, this um, is really sad. Actually, <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible story. Um, but yeah, there, I think there's even videos of it. Um, a, a young Hong Kong woman uh, snorted a uh, bar table like bar table length line of ketamine um, in one in fuck. one go and then died. And now, ketamine doesn't typically kill people. I'll just say that. Uh, so I don't know exactly what she died from. It could have been a number of things like maybe choking on her vomit from snorting all that drug or or whatever. But uh, yeah, very sad story. But yeah, it, it just goes into, you know, uh, the addiction thing, right? Ketamine is addictive. It will It will get some people hooked and they may ruin their life or even potentially die from whatever happens throughout their addiction. So if you know anyone who is suffering from addiction with ketamine, please reach out uh, you know, to uh, some healthcare services or something and get, get your friend some help or maybe yourself.
1: Um. Yeah, and you said ketamine doesn't really kill people. But what's super sad in the U.S. is that ketamine can be administered by the police and it really, really should not be. Um, in 2019, a uh, 23 year old Elijah McClain was stopped in Aurora, Colorado, and he was quote unquote disorderly and whatever the police needed to say to have paramedics shoot him up with ketamine. They choked him and gave him ke- ketamine while he was unconscious and he died. And you know, so ketamine can lead to deaths. Typically, if you are enjoying it as a recreational drug, you're not going to die, um, I don't know why the police have the ability to give people ketamine. They say it's to deal with people who are disorderly. It should not be a thing.
2: I think the idea was that the scientists and the, the healthcare professionals told them that it was one of the safest
1: drugs. As a sedative, That they yeah. could use, yeah, as exactly. a sedative. Exactly, yeah. Quick,
2: it-, it acts fast, it does its job. It's just but so messed up, man. Police uh, should never have that level of power. No, over should, a human,
1: you should be allowed to drug somebody just because no, no, you w- think they're acting a certain way. Even yeah, if well, yeah, what are they? Fucking so- Bill Cosby.
3: <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> the police are <laughs> <or> Bill Cosby. <laughs> Pretty all, much, a cab. <laughs> all cops are all cops are bill. All cops are bill. All, <laughs> <costs>
1: are bill. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we
3: started dude. that. You guys all it. cops are bill, yeah. dude. <laughs> all
1: cops are bill, dude. That's insane. Oh, wow. that's
3: fucking that's all good bills stuff right cost. there, dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's quality content right bad.
3: here, boys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh well, pop culture corner with Ryan. We're starting new <laughs> trends. All acab. All cops are Bill. <laughs> there we go. Tweet it, guys. Uh. Hashtag acab.
2: It means something new now.
3: <laughs>
2: we started this trend. <laughs>
3: Oh, Holy fucking shit. good stuff, dude. <laughs> I know what I'm putting on my Tinder profile now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All cops are Bill. <laughs> fucking ACAB. You, wait, you gotta wait till finished. this episode comes out, though, dude. We gotta have That's this. Is, yeah, yeah we, we gotta fucking have this, you know, in his go down in history that this was on the pod. The first, <laughs> the That's the so first uh, uh, All Cops are Bill. So, uh, you know, one thing... Before you say it, Raven, I do think that we should probably, since we were kind of talking
2: about some of the harm reduction stuff and people like potentially dying from it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the partying on it situation is I will recommend do not mix ketamine with alcohol. Do not do it. It, They do not work well together at all. Uh, And likely what will happen is uh, if you take ketamine while you've been drinking, you are going to feel very sick, much more drunk than you ever would have been that night. <laughs> and so, just even don't do off it.
1: One beer, right? Was that even off one beer?
2: Even off one beer? Yeah, yeah it could. It, they just don't work well together, and they are fatal. It's a fatal com- combination. Is it? Um, yeah, and just in the sense either. that someone could technically like vomit and you know throw like a uh, choke on their vomit
1: yeah. from the
2: alcohol because they got way too drunk. It, it's almost like sitting in a hot a hot tub while drinking.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right, especially uh-huh. with the uh, uh, safest way. Technically, being intermuscular Technically. injection, if if you are at a level where you are being safe with drugs and doing intermuscular injection, I think hopefully you are smart enough to not be mixing it with alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> I would think. Yeah, you know, hopefully you would
3: hope you would hope. I would hope some people are um, fucking idiots with, though. Uh,
1: this is true, <laughs> or they're. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, or yeah, or they're misinformed,
2: right? No, know, like, I'm imagine just, being at a show and someone hands you a nose beer after you had a beer, and you're like, "Hell yeah, I want a nose beer!" Yeah, and then you know you take it, and they didn't warn you that it, right. it's going to not yeah. feel very
3: good. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of people it, drink, and then they get offered drugs, and then they're like, "Oh, dude, I could take this party even further," and like that's how I, they get I convinced mean, to do right. these drugs is because they've already been drinking alcohol or whatever. So. I mean, I've been there, you know, I've been yeah, same. Personally Handed
1: something and maybe recklessly took it and had a bad time, you know. Like it, that's why I I can't judge because I've been there,
3: you know. Yeah, yeah. So same, same.
1: It, it, it shit happens.
3: <laughs> shit,
1: in fact, does happen. Yeah, uh, with harm reduction, obviously, it goes without saying: clean needles every single time. Don't share. Don't reuse. Unless you use a lighter on the needle. <laughs> no, don't even, don't no, even share kidding, I'm spoons. Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Wait, don't even share those mini reduce, spoons. reduce,
3: reuse, recycle? <laughs> 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 not no. with AIDS, bro, not with AIDS. Not with oh, AIDS.
1: All right, all right, bet. So don't even share the same spoons, Mikey, you're saying?
2: Yeah, no, like, like like I, I'm not talking like spoon, like heroin no, spoon no, no, that no, you no, cook no, it no. up like in. I'm talking, spoons. yeah, those mini spoons that people wear on their necklaces, you know, just don't. Like, uh, don't share, don't sort your drugs with freaking bills either, guys. Oh, Come on. It's so gross! Like rolling up a, a dollar bill that was definitely on someone's
3: butthole at some point. Find a straw <laughs> out of a McDonald's cup. Come right. on, yeah. Guys. You have to think about like, how much money gets like, you know, printed every year. It's not a lot. Like you, they use, they try not to print money. So really, all money that you have is reused money essentially. Oh yeah, yeah. So. It's disgusting. Yeah, that's kind of damn. why I
1: prefer using. <laughs> <laughs> just like, <laughs> I'm just damn. like, wow, this is probably someone in <laughs> someone's at some point. So <laughs> uh, it, lastly, I just kind of wanted to uh, kind of go over some personal experiences. Um, I know, Ryan, you don't have any. I don't know, Micah, if you want to talk about yours, but I would kind of like to share mine because I've only done any form of ketamine one time. And it was not just while I was on ketamine, judge me if you will. I was already on LSD at the time that I took ketamine, which honestly was one of the most enjoyable times I ever had on LSD. Um, I've probably done LSD, what, a hundred times? Probably, honestly. probably. But the time I did um, uh, ketamine with LSD, and it wasn't… Pure ketamine. Micah, do you want to
2: tell me? Um, yeah, so it wasn't… Not necessarily using the word pure. It, it wasn't ketamine, yeah, the it drug. Ketamine. It was called ketamine, which is, again, very structurally similar to ketamine. Uh, it just lasts longer, and you need to take less of it. Um, and so there are some different effects as well, but generally, uh, at a low dose, which is what we took, it is pretty similar to normal ketamine.
1: Yeah, and so um, we… In- ingested the ketamine insufflated, which is up the nose, and probably what was it, 15 minutes into the LSD? And for me, as someone who has experienced LSD many times, it was the weirdest experience I've ever had. The tracers that you get from the visuals lasted five feet as long, and the music sounded Way more in depth, and it felt like life was going in slow motion, and it la- it felt like it lasted twenty hours. It felt like the night <laughs> quite literally shit. lasted twenty hours. Whoa, it was the longest dude. night of my life. Dude. Like I, I, I'm serious in saying it was the longest night of my life. I felt like daytime was never going to come. I think we probably went yeah. to bed at what like four thirty in the morning. Oh, or yeah, something. We, it was it, an early
2: night actually. I feel yeah. like because we we took the acid when the light was still out. And yep. then we laid down pretty much just in this huge living room.
1: We and, laid down blankets and pillows and glow sticks. Yeah, pretty and, much
2: made a little like kid's yeah. fort sort of and had their glow sticks and just, uh, I mean, we also, mind you, we we had hit some nitrous balloons yeah. at the beginning yeah. too. Um, so a little added <laughs> uh, dissociation, right?
1: Yeah, it, it just jumping right into it with the, <laughs> the nitrous balloons and it 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 was uh one of the most carefree nights of my entire life. I can genuinely say that we just danced around to music with glow sticks for what felt like 20 hours and by the end of it we just so exhausted you were just ready to sleep. And that's not really something you get with acid. We'll talk about more we'll it, talk more about it depends acid. on who
3: you are. Depends on who. Well,
1: no, no. I mean, you get that with acid, but not to that level that I felt that night.
3: I don't know. Sorry, I'm just talking shit. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, right. So, (laughs) you take acid, and four hours later, you just go to bed, right? Uh, Four hours later. Yeah. No, more like. Uh, yeah. 14 hours later. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, that. this this acid trip was cut in half, but yet it
2: almost felt longer than any acid trip we've ever oh, had. Oh, sorry. I thought you
3: said it literally, f- like, lasted for 20 hours. No. No. Uh, I mean, we,
2: we took it when the sun was up, and we went to bed at, like, a decent time.
1: Like, 3.30 like or 4:00 time. o'clock.
3: Uh, Whereas, like, say, if you like, like, that take acid, it's, like, to me, half me day. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, that happens to me every time I take acid. If I take acid after 3 o'clock, I'm Definitely not going to bed until, like, 4 or 5 in the morning. <laughs> oh, no, we probably took it at, like, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. Holy yeah. shit, dude. Yeah. Wow. That's it, so it, interesting. Holy fuck. It, and but, why, do you, why do you think it does that, though? Why do you think it, uh, you know, it decreases you know, I, the length of it? Like, I believe that because
2: of the way that it affects the brain. So, like, remember how I mentioned that those NMDA receptors that it uh, attaches to and blocks their effect? They are uh, widely used or whatever utilized in the brain for things like spatial memory, and so I think spatial memory goes hand in hand with uh, temporal memory. So, like time, right? Okay. Uh, and so I think that what it does is it kind of puts the brain into a state of like you can't really perceive time. Yeah. Similar to a psychedelic, uh, like a, a mushrooms or LSD, right? Yeah. So yeah. it it expands, it dilates the time. And um, an hour goes by and you look at the clock and you think it's been hours, hours, you know? And you truly feel that way. Like, that's not just like a trippy effect. It's a legitimate feeling where it blows your mind every time you look at the clock. Yeah, that's wow. that's
1: that's the way it felt. It felt like an hour was five.
2: Which is interesting. It's almost like you're working on a different level. You know how like in different uh, on different planets uh, yeah. you'd be living a shorter or a longer life.
1: Oh, it's like interstellar with the black holes.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, 100%. Wow. It's almost like you literally put your brain into a state of like the time that's going on outside of you is doing its natural thing. But the time that's going on within you is completely altered to who you are.
1: Yeah. And to what the experience is. That's the weird thing is it's not… I, I have full memory from the entire night. And still like next day, a week from there… The, the, thinking back, my memory is that night lasted twenty hours, and it probably was only more like eight. Like wow. it was just everything lasted so long. Time slowed down for us and us alone that night. It was so crazy. It was a magical experience, honestly.
2: And you can see how that could be therapeutic for people with depression, almost yeah. right?
1: Yeah, is sure. to just
2: have everything stop, everything come to, uh. Just a void, right, of nothingness or, um, yeah, just a, a, a stop, a break, Which a is time to I really have,
3: just let go. I have to mention that's how I feel when I take mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Me too.
2: Yeah. Honestly, I believe that ketamine is a lot like other psychedelics. It's just easier. Meaning mm. it's not likely to cause a difficult experience. It's not likely yeah. to be something that has a bad trip.
1: Probably due to its sedative effects.
2: Totally. Yeah. yeah that you makes can't sense. really move and you can't really think about your problems. Yeah.
3: Right? yeah. Uh I, I forgot I was gonna mention this earlier. Uh there's this guy, I think he was on Vice or something like that. Uh this crazy dude who kinda looks like Gandalf the White a little bit. Uh <laughs> he fucking takes a shit ton of ketamine and like talks to angels and shit. Oh, is
2: that the artist guy that Hamilton
3: Morris did the PCB yes. episode with? Yep. Whoa. Yeah, who has like a beautiful house out in like it's New Mexico or some shit. fucking insane, dude. It's so sick. Yeah, that dude's crazy cool. Yeah, Mike, do you
1: have any uh, like just insanely profound experiences you want to talk about?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've actually… I, I've uh, had ketamine be a part of something that I've… Used, like it's been a part of my life for a pretty long time… Um, and, you know, I feel comfortable to say that because truly, I think that ketamine has put me, you know, into a a better state of mind overall in life. Um, I do believe that it has antidepressant properties for me personally. I think that, um, you know, it's just something that, uh, it's worked. So, yeah, that's why, you know, that's why I've continued to use it. That's why I'll talk about using it. Uh, I, I do think that, it's not for everyone. I don't think that my experience should be something that people should take and um, you know think that they could replicate and have. But I would like to definitely um, elaborate on some of the experiences that I've had. And yeah, definitely. I think I, I find Ketamine really cool, really versatile, like we've mentioned. Uh, it has a lot of different applications. You could use it at a show. You could use it maybe partying with your friends. Um, but… I personally like to use ketamine similar to the way that John C. Lilly was using it. And that is as sensory deprived as possible. Um, and so when I, uh, do ketamine, I prepare kind of a, a setting for myself. And this is usually, you know, a, a dark room. It's my bedroom, uh, lights off, you know, uh, blinds closed, but also with the added, uh, earplugs and face mask, um, so, you know, after ingesting the drug, uh, I typically lay down and try to start meditating. Usually that's just a form of breathing for me, uh, you know, in for a certain amount of time and hold it and then out for a certain amount of time. Uh, and I'm wearing the eye mask and I am have the earplugs in, so I'm really, really just focused in on my breathing. Which I
3: won't, well, I'm sorry to cut you off. I wanted to mention earlier, I forgot, uh, that they say to use noise-canceling headphones uh, when doing ketamine therapy because of uh, the disassociative feeling and noise-canceling headphones completely blocking out the outside world. So anyways, yeah, forgot I, I forgot I wanted to well, mention that continue. No, and
2: and actually I'm glad that you did because one of the interesting things that happens with uh, most dissociative anesthetic drugs like ketamine, uh, nitrous, DXM, PCP, whatever, yeah. uh, is that at a high dose there is this ringing effect in people's ears where or almost a wah, 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 wah we like type of sound. Yeah. And with ketamine, particularly, ketamine almost makes all of the things in your room or your environment that you're in doing the drug uh, sound really loud and distorted. So, like if you have a fan blowing <laughs> in your bedroom,
0: uh, that <laughs> fan
2: may end up sounding like a freaking robot or some crazy a loud,
3: like transformer. Thing.
2: Yeah, a helicopter sucker. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and you don't want to get too close to those things,
3: no. um, Unless, they have a lot of, of suction and they can hurt
2: um but anyway so you know i think that's part of why the noise canceling headphones come into play so much but also like the the whole idea is that by dissociating yourself like your your identity your uh, ego right yeah. from your physical self you have the ability to explore your unconscious while still somewhat lucid mm. now When people take a really high dose of ketamine that induces a K-hole, right, experience that we've talked about, uh, they typically forget that they took ketamine. I do. So during the experience, you don't sit there and think about, oh, I just took ketamine and have these expectations for the trip. There's there's really no ability to sit there and and comprehend it. It happens afterward. Okay. So like— During the experience, you may notice some feelings or some effects. And one of the things that I notice the most, and I find really the coolest, one of the most trippy effects from it, uh, way, way trippier than any other psychedelic, um, is this feeling of being like pulled away from your physical body, um, maybe sinking into your bed, or maybe even lifting above your bed and sort of being transported or moved by something around your bedroom and it literally feels comfortable. Like there's no weird feel like painful feeling or uh, like anxiety to it. It feels good to be sort of caressed and moved around by something that feels bigger than yourself in a way. And I could see why John Lilly may have come up with some spiritual uh, explanations for these things. But for me, I just think that it's our body's way of like, like really, really trippy things happen with sleep. I think we could all agree on that. Yeah. Oh. Right? For sure, With dreaming, yeah. uh, even just falling asleep, like right before you fall asleep, having weird hallucinations. I get oh, that all the time. Yeah. Um, or waking up, right? Waking <laughs> up and having incredible hallucinations.
1: What? I just realized I said, oh, yeah, like the Kool-Aid.
3: <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. And yeah, you just Not,
2: broke into that conversation with like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to you
1: really at all. I was, like, I was just like literally agreeing and I was like, oh, yeah. And I was just like, holy fuck, I just sounded like the Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Well, that was pretty cool. Well,
2: yeah, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent about well, it, but yeah. are you
1: comfortable with me talking about being third party to someone taking ketamine?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing to mention because I personally do ketamine yeah. uh alone, typically. It's something that I don't really like doing with my friends or uh trying to like hang out and party on. It is literally something that I do for myself. Um and so there was a time where Raven came out and hung out with me while I was doing it. and uh, got and, an interesting thing to say about it.
1: And it, it honestly, it's, it's off-putting to be around someone who is doing ketamine because, well, off-putting in the sense that it almost makes you not want to do it, because you see the person's rea- that their person the person's actions that they may not understand that they do or remember. and I know I, I I went over the actions Micah had afterward and he didn't remember any of them. And to me it was funny. I had a great time, but to him, he said maybe it was uh, a little uncomfortable that he did those things and couldn't remember. So <laughs> after he took ketamine, we were both laying there, I was laying on the floor. And maybe 10 minutes in, I was sitting there on my phone watching YouTube. I just hear... And it's just <laughs> beatboxing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... I'm just I, Well, because he told me... He told me, oh, it'll only last 10 minutes or whatever. I, I, and then I'm like, okay. and So I'm like, oh, he's back. He's just... Why is he beatboxing? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and, th- and then I, I I look up at him, and he's just staring at the wall, beatboxing. <laughs> and I'm oh like, I, I'm just like, I, I I know, I know how these things go, and he looked like someone who was essentially sleep talking or sleepwalking. So I'm like, I'll oh, just l- leave him be, or whatever. And then he snaps over, looks at me, and he's like, huh? and I'm a, what's up? And he, huh? and I'm like, I'm like you, hey, what, what's going on, man? he just goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being
2: surprised that there was a body in my room.
1: Yeah. That I couldn't
2: oh. really see. I couldn't really make it out still. But there was like a, a body in my, my house and yeah. I knew it was alive. And I was like, oh,
1: this is weird. Yeah. It was, just, um, it was the same vague memories I can remember from being someone who sleepwalks or sleep talks or does stuff in my sleep. Like some mornings I'll wake up with vague memories of, just acting weird in my sleep that's what he looked like <laughs> he staring through me going what what <laughs> i was that's like hey so mike funny. mike are you good and he would go what <laughs> <laughs> over and over <laughs> and and that lasted maybe yeah 30 minutes and then oh, and eventually my God. he got up and just started like doing dishes or something <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, you remember any of that?" And he was like, "Any of what?" And I was just like, "Oh, okay, that Holy makes
3: sense." Shit, dude! <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: I've had situations like that where I've like, I've like met a girl and like I walked into the room and I could tell she was on ketamine and she goes, "Hey," and I'm like, "What's up?" I'm Micah, you know. We start talking and I'm like, "Oh, you're just on kitty. It's all good. Like you'll be out. you'll be done in a second. And then like,
1: <laughs> be done. I go
2: to the bathroom and I walk out of the bathroom literally three minutes later. And she just goes like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, uh, we just met like three minutes ago. But it's great to meet you again. And she's like,
1: what? We
2: just met? Oh my God, no way. So it's, yeah, it's really weird. It's, it's crazy what it can do to, you know, people in that sense.
1: It's strange because the person remembers a completely different thing than the outside world. Because they, it's not that they are completely blacked out and forget everything. It's that they were in a complete dream state and don't remember what happened outside of their own mind.
2: Yeah, and I think that's what's probably really interesting to say about the K-hole experience is that it's actually really difficult to get to. A lot of people will say that they've had a K-hole experience, but they really they aren't describing What other people are describing this whole thing of like leaving your body and experiencing maybe different worlds or like these voids, these really massive spaces uh, where things are just never ending. Uh, That is not something that you can really get to just hanging out with your friends listening to music. It's just not possible. It won't, it doesn't matter what dose you take. And also, if you take too much of ketamine, you will be sedated to the point that
1: blacked out. Yeah, just blacked out.
2: You'll be anesthetized. Like you won't have remembered a thing. It'll just be like how you would have gotten it at the surgery, like getting surgery, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they're going to give you enough that you would never have remembered anything. And you take, to, to hole. you take a dose that lies in between a low dose and a very, very high dose. And if you get that dose right, you get a very, very interesting experience out of it. Now, I've been doing ketamine for a very long time, years. I've probably had 20 or so memorable K-hole experiences out of the, uh, I hate to say it, but over a hundred times administering ketamine. I've only had about 20 experiences that I can remember and I say that they're significant and they're they're very cool experiences. Meaning wow. it was hard for me to get to those experiences. It, it wasn't easy.
1: But saying um, that, they, they're they experiences that are so profound that they will stick with you for the rest of your life.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, they are, it's, it's pretty much like... The K-hole, the way I like to describe it for myself, is like being able to immediately go into a lucid dream. Wow. And not have the dream aspect of it. Like it's literally your experience. And
1: Yeah, I remember a guy coming up to me at the skate park when I was like twelve years old and trying to be like, Yeah, I just got out of jail. I'm addicted to ketamine. Uh, I'm addicted to getting into the K-hole. It's like, I didn't know. This is a real story. <laughs> he, he was like, I'm addicted to getting into the K-hole. It's like this weird dream realm that you get to essentially to build into your A-hole. own reality.
3: Huh? that I'm addicted to getting into the a-hole. <laughs>
1: oh
3: my god. Yeah bro, that acid hole. That's my favorite, dude. No, I was talking yeah, about that, that. asshole. Think <laughs> about each <laughs> Alright, uh, continue.
1: Yeah. No, no, I was just talking about this weird uh, guy who came up to me when I was like 12 and tried to yell at me about how he's addicted to get to <laughs> uh, Yeah, uh, anyway… I feel like we've um <laughs> we've done it, guys.
2: We have we, done the ketamine. I feel well, like we've I, reached I the it. cable of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't yeah. worry, you
1: have some on the way to you in the mail right now.
2: <laughs> Who Yeah, shouts out to our first sponsor. Um, you know
1: The Dark Web. The Dark Web.
2: <laughs> uh, they if you need to purchase ketamine, you can get a 20% off coupon through <laughs> us.
3: Uh, Use code a D-O-O-C God damn it dude <laughs>
1: Drinking out a podcast
3: <laughs> Drinking out a podcast Sorry cups. did I st- Your co-host <laughs> Did I steal your fucking joke Michael? Oh, my bad
1: No 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 I
2: was I've just I've been saying the wrong thing <laughs> Twice <laughs> <laughs> Just like typing out Drinking out a cop <laughs> Cops
1: uh, Don't drinking forget out This episode was sponsored by A-Cab All cops are Uh Bernie Sanders who did we say all don't cops are me. bills <laughs> all cops
3: are not Bernie Sanders dude all cops are bills yeah fuck that guy
1: dude. oh I a- want to
3: pay my student loans back
1: it's <laughs> <That's laughs> a perfect way to end this podcast it's just completely disoriented and dissociated yeah. <laughs> facts well uh hey I want to shout out my YouTube I don't do ketamine on there but uh I um play video games I guess I don't know. Just go check it out. <laughs> it's Raven. <Duter laughs> at YouTube.com. <laughs> R-A-Y-V-Y-N. The number two. T-U-R-N-T. At YouTube. And uh, I post cool ass shit there. I work hard on it. I yeah. work so hard. Please. <laughs> yeah.
3: Doing every doing time it. I call him to be like, yo, you want to fucking do something? And he's like, "Do nope, I'm me together? fucking editing, dude. <laughs> Working on some shit. So, yeah, dude. Check out his stuff. It's fucking great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Raven's the goat. Oh then, yeah. Raven uh, is a goat for sure. Jinx 23 broke a horse. Oh, you owe me a Coke, dude. I think he owes you ketamine now. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, that, we gotta
1: go. We're all gonna go do a bunch of ketamine together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh so Ryan, what are we gonna talk about in, in the shop? next
1: episode? Uh Oh, we're going to talk about your shout outs in the next episode.
3: Oh, yeah. Shout out. Uh, so people will
1: have to listen to the next episode to find out what you're shouting out. Shout out. Peace.